ever wonder how your fellow TMFers are feeling about the TMF world nowadays? Well, stick with us because our experts are about to go on a deep dive into the 2023 State of TMF Industry Report, a report unearthing the most pressing perceptions and challenges for TMF professionals today. We'll be covering everything from the number one reason people are not making the switch to ETMF, the hands-down consensus on the most difficult metric to track, and how people really feel about inspector expectations today. The State of TMF podcast is officially in session. Let's get into it. For those that are maybe new to the podcast and don't know who we are, just a brief introduction. My name is Oliver Pierce. I'm the head of growth marketing here at Montreal. I'm supported by a star-studded Montreal cast. We've got Paul Fenton, CEO of Montreal, Christina Mancioros uh, on the product uh, team as part of the clinical strategy group, uh, Donatella Ballerini, head of ETMF services. So thanks so much for joining us uh, guys for another episode. Today, we're not just kicking off a new season of the state of TMF. We've got a very special topic today, something that we Um, actually are going to unpack and discover that we released last week, which was the State of TMF Industry Report for 2023. If you guys haven't had a chance yet to take a look at the State of TMF Report, this was a report that our team put together. We had over 250 different organizations complete the survey, um, touching on all things TMF related. I posted the link to the page where you can access that for free. You don't have to fill out a form. You can just access the document, share it with your colleagues. It's a 30-page report that dives into everything from inspection readiness to impediments to implementing systems to issues with QC, everything that you want to know, how your peers are performing or working within TMF, um, it's covered. And we're going to spend today discussing some of the things that we've uncovered in in the report and see if we can offer some interesting and insightful commentary but also maybe some uh, some tips and some and some best practices to maybe those that are maybe a part of some of those leading statistics so if you guys have questions throughout please feel free to throw them into the chat if you do want to ask your question live we can promote you to the meeting and you can join us live and ask us a question on the air if you want to do that please just raise your hand and we'll promote you to the meeting and you can ask your question directly to us or of course you can continue to add to Sorry, answer, ask your question in the webinar chat textually, and then we will um, we will answer it live. So let's jump in. Now, obviously, in an industry heavily focused on the minutiae of compliance and regulatory requirements, we felt it was really, really important to take not only a step back, but also a moment for us to be able to learn about the people that are behind it all, right? Those that are on the front lines of TMF, which is really where this uh, industry report and survey uh, originated from. Now, with this survey, we were able to surface some of the trends that are shaping the trajectory of our industry. These are discoveries that relate to everything, like I mentioned before, inspection readiness, metrics, QC, and more. Certain findings that we uncovered were to be expected, but there were some surprising uh, statistics that we'd uncovered, maybe some that we felt uh, maybe should have moved a little since, uh, since the last time we've seen um, data on this topic, or maybe those that we we assumed might be uh, larger or smaller. So maybe before we jump into each individual statistic, I want to ask my panel here, you know, what this report means to them. And as someone who spends, or as people that spend so much time involved in industry standards and, and models and, and within industry events, why is something like this report really important? And, and what does it bring for you um, as, a, as a sort of subject matter expert? And I'll go to I'll go to maybe Christina first on this one. 
I mean, I think a, a report like this will bring us a lot of insight into actually what's what's going on into the industry as a vendor as well. It gives us a lot of insight into um, what people are looking for and where the where there are challenges in in using uh, ETMF or or challenges to getting into ETMF. Um, and especially what I'm interested in is to see. Obviously, we plan to continue doing this type of survey, but to see the trend over time and how some of the metrics uh, shift. Paul, do I tell you any thoughts on your end? Yeah, I, I agree with with Christina, but I, I also think it's kind of interesting because it, it gives you like a, a vibe of how the industry is feeling about stuff. And because some of the some of the questions in there, you know, like do you, do you feel that the uh, the expectations of the uh, the inspectors are becoming more challenging. Sometimes that's a feeling, right? It's, it's you know, they feel that, yes, it's more challenging. So it's interesting to see that. Um, so it's not just about the qualitative data, but it's also about the, the, the actual uh, the vibe that we get from the report. Exactly. Trust us to be thinking about the vibe of TMF, right? That's, that's <laughs> sort of our, our thing. Donatella, before we move into some of the statistics, any thoughts from your end as someone that spends so much time working with TMF teams, clinical teams, helping them improve their processes. Why is a report like this important to you and the work that you do? Yeah, I think it's important also to, you know, to understand the best practices because we are, you know, moving in a, in an environment where there are lots of regulation, lots of requirement, but sometimes is uh, the daily activities are based on best practice. So to know what's going on, what other companies are doing, uh, and what they are still challenging. Uh, because uh, as we will see in the report, there are still uh, the same issue, even if the technology is improved, uh, even if uh, the regulation has improved and becoming more strict. Uh, uh, but some challenges are always the same. So it's, it's, it's nice from our side to see that, you know, we are facing the same challenges because at the same time, maybe we can... Uh, give a direction in the improvement, you know, of the regulation and the improvement of some uh, initiative uh, like CDISC. Uh, so I think uh, it's very, very important to have this kind of data. Perfect. So let's talk about that data. Now, it's a 30-page report. We're certainly not going to go page by page and walk you through it. We want you guys to discover some of those things, make your own realizations. Um, so if you, again, if you haven't had a chance to take a look at the report, jump into it. What I want to do today is kind of talk about some of the things that we felt were interesting, some of the things maybe that need to be discussed, and some of the things that maybe we can offer some advice and guidance on. Now, one of the things that really stood out to me was sort of this uh, statistic around contributors, right? And and individuals that are involved and required to you know, submit documentation to the TMF or provide documentation to the TMF within their given area. Contri contributor motivation remains still a major concern for TMFers. 45.9% of ETMF users cited contribution as a major issue to things like timeliness and quality with nearly half of those TMF users sort of lacking that motivation as being a roadblock. How do you think we can address this issue to improve timeliness? Yeah, you know, why is that contributor motivation such a major issue to TMF teams? Who wants to take that? I can I can maybe give it a first shot. I think this is this has always been a problem. Even in the paper world, it was a problem before we had ETMF. And uh, I think it's it's primarily because ETMF is often uh, misunderstood. You know, why do we need a TMF? What purpose does it serve? And then also, I think 
it's kind of an afterthought and, and we don't sort of think about TMF as being like an operational system. We think about TMF as like an archive, right? So it's an, it's an afterthought. It's the thing we need to do at the end kind of thing. And so I think we need to change our thinking and we also need to provide more value to the contributors and to make them want to, 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 to provide uh, the content, provide information into the system. So we need to give them something back. And this, I think, is where sort of making a push for more active, proactive TMF management is important. Um, so, you know, the TMF itself actually provides a lot of information. You know, it's a reference point to understand what's going on in the study at any point in time, or it should be if everyone's contributing their information. So we need to we need to promote that idea and we need to sort of train people on the fact that you know, if you if you if everyone provides the information, this actually becomes a really useful place for you to go and find out what's going on. Um, we also need to kind of empower the the information that we have. Right now, it's kind of very siloed, not always easy to access, not easy to find. Um, you know, it's very document centric. And so we need to think about how how do we sort of surface that information and and organize it better, make it easier to understand, easier to access, and so that people actively use it as, a, as an operational resource to help them better work you know, in, in the clinical trials that they're running day to day, rather than just having this kind of afterthought where, okay, I need to sort of provide all of this stuff, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's, and it's already too late at this point. So I think that we need a, we need a, a mind shift, um, but it's, it starts with sort of education, and it also starts by finding ways to give back. I really like the, the point that Paul pointed out. So I think that everything starts from a lack of knowledge uh, because not everyone, uh, you know, that uh, is potentially a document owner, a document producer for the TMS is aware about the relevance of the TMS, is aware about the impact of a, a TMS that is not inspection ready. So really, I think that everything starts from uh, spreading and sharing the knowledge and the relevance of TMF, the requirement. So giving this first very initial input of why the TMF is so important, why it must be inspection ready. So give this first, let's say, uh, knowledge information and also make uh, in the process all the other stakeholders of the TMF management more involved, more engaged. Because as Paul said, there are lots of people uh, just have this uh, very passive approach with this uh, uh, opinion of TMF, just a repository, the final archive, uh, and they don't have this proactive uh, and more, uh, you know, active management and approach on TMF, uh, seeing uh, as a, a relevant uh, repository of data for the clinical trial, uh, where you can get all the information that you need to understand the quality, the compliance, and, you know, everything that you need. Uh, so it's really a combination, I think, of... Uh, knowledge and so training and education, but also of uh, improving the process and make uh, people more engaged uh, in the process uh, of uh, having a TMF more inspection ready. Right. I guess it, it's also sort of one of those things where sometimes ETMF systems aren't seen as a system that non-TMFers would use, right? It's not their system. And so it's, you know, it, logging into another tool and having to go in and, and, and submit documents as much as the training as you need. It just, it's not natural. Right. And sometimes that's an issue. And like Kate said in the chat, right, TMF should be a go-to place to find documents during a trial. If it's not that sort of central um, story that we're trying to create, then, then uh, people aren't going to use it in that, as that fashion. And they're maybe going to keep their own documents somewhere else. And that impacts timeliness as well, whether you're in a paper 
uh, world or, or in an electronic system. Okay, perfect. So we've talked about contribution being a major issue. And what was interesting from some of the data, just some additional points here, is that it, it remains an issue both for those that are not using an ETMF system or an electronic system, as well as those that are using an ETMF, and even more so for those that are using an ETMF, which is kind of interesting if you think about it. So if we move on, like one of the other sections of the report that I thought was really, really interesting was around implementation of ETMF systems. Now, for those of you on the line that have been using ETMF systems for many, many years, you may think, what, there are people that don't use ETMF systems still? But there were still a significant number of of organizations that that we surveyed that weren't using ETMF system that gave us some really great insights into what uh, were some of the reasons why they hadn't yet moved to ETMF systems or in the past why they hadn't. So I want to kind of center on that a little bit here, which I think is kind of interesting. And one of the key findings was that the cost of implementing an ETMF system, so the financial cost, was a leading roadblock. 44% of our respondents from specifically from scaling organizations, so organizations under 100 employees, cited the cost of implementation as being that the greatest impediment. Now, cost seems to be a significant barrier here, especially for smaller organizations. Paul, how can we make ETMF systems more accessible, more cost-effective for them? And what are some of the costs that we should be thinking about? Yeah, when I was at university, uh, one of my lecturers said, told me this this phrase. He was a Scottish guy, but I can't do a Scottish accent. I'd love to be able to say it with a Scottish accent, but it would be made to me horses for courses. So you know, there are certain race horses that work that the race better on certain race courses, and I think that that's the case here. Quite often, the the ETMF systems that are out there today can be quite you know, quite complex, they can be quite feature-rich um, systems that are sort of covering many different aspects of TMF management. And you know, I think someone in the chat mentioned that, you know, they, they can be quite intimidating. And if we think about these sort of growth organizations, so these smaller organizations that are probably quite reliant on CROs uh, to run their clinical programs still, um, I think that a lot of the TMF offerings out there, or ETMF offerings rather, are probably overkill. For what they need to do because ultimately what they need to do is be able to sort of receive the uh, the tmf from their cro and they need to be able to retain it for the retention period you know that's important so they need to have tools to be able to sort of bring the, the tmf into their system they need to be able to make sure that they can still access that tmf for 25 years and they need to be potentially be able to go through inspections and, and allow the inspector to access that information and maybe do a few periodic reviews. But there's, the, the, their needs are not huge. And so what I think we need to, to, to see is you know, maybe a, a different offering from the vendors, which is more adapted to that kind of growing organization that provides them really with just the basics of what they need to be able to be compliant and to be able to pass inspections. And then as those organizations grow, then they start to look at all of the other features that we would typically see in a, in a TMF and as they start to bring things in-house. Now, when you're implementing a TMF system, it's not just about signing a contract and you know the TMF's there. There's a whole bunch of other things that you have to do. So you have to obviously get everybody trained. You need to configure the system. You might need to do a certain amount of user acceptance testing. So again, if, you, if you're able to reduce the scope to really only what you need as an organization in your stage of growth, then I think you can also reduce the amount of time and resources required to do all of that work uh, to get the system in place. Uh, and ultimately, this is going to reduce the cost 
both from you know the software vendor uh, because they, they obviously don't have to spend as much time but also it will reduce your internal cost as well and and, and hopefully still meet the vast majority of your your needs at that point in time so i think we need a new a new paradigm for those growing organizations yeah i agree paul and i think that uh, you know another challenge that smaller organizations face is it really ties into what we spoke about just just before about the mind shifts, right? Like if you think of TMFS something that is more of a afterthought of a chore, then that's not going to be something potentially that takes takes the biggest place in your budget, right? Automatically. So it it also has to do with with that mind shift as well, and to to look at the the return on investment that you would be getting in in investing into an ETMF. I mean, yeah. just thinking about uh, you know the physical space needed to 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 manage paper right? or, or archive paper. Oh, yeah. I would add on something, uh, Christina, as well. So it's not it's not just about inspections, right? So a lot mm -hmm. of the so inspections, of course, are very important. Inspection readiness, super important. You need to be organized. But you also need to be organized for investors. So remember, a lot of these sort of growing organizations are very dependent on you know, venture capital or private equity. And investors want to uh, understand that, you know, the state of your clinical program and also want to be able to see that you're in a state of control and that you, you know, that the, there's no risk associated with the documentation that you have, that you're managing that well. Uh, and so having a system in place is definitely an asset and could potentially have a positive impact on your ability to raise additional funding to continue uh, clinical programs. And so I think that's also something that that people really need to, to keep in mind. And I think it's something that's probably overlooked quite often. Exactly. And and obviously the system isn't isn't the, the, the only answer, right? Donatella, I'm sure you're going to jump in here and say systems are great. And certainly that's what people want to see because it helps us uh, institute that control that Paul's mentioning. But it's also about the process too. Does that add to the cost, Donatella? Is that sort of part of that fear or the apprehension of implementing an ETMF system? Um, it's not just about the actual technology cost. It's also maybe the people cost or the the, the cost of change, uh, the cost of reviewing and updating processes. Is, is that maybe some of the barrier as well? So I thanks for this question, Oliver, because honestly, I was quite surprised when I saw that the main reason was, you know, uh, the cost. Because um, if you're managing a paper TMF, uh, I don't know how many people uh, have ever assessed how much does cost to manage a paper TMF because it's not just, uh, you know, the paper itself, but uh, it's the printer machine, it's a lot of uh, life cycle of the paper document, uh, so uh, the, the storage condition on the, of a GXP archive, so space uh, area uh, for uh, archiving all the paper documents. Uh, I mean, there are lots of hidden costs when it comes to paper TMF that uh, if you compare this to an electronic TMF, is basically really big, bigger and bigger. And so that uh, the other cost that to me would represent uh, a massive effort would be, as you said, the implementation of a process, uh, the development of a new process. Because when you move to an ETMF, you can't use your previous process anymore. You need to develop a new process. You need to have people train on this new process and to have people uh, that have a uh, are all aligned on their or the same expectation in terms of the process and of the system. So that is, I would say, the most challenging part. Uh, but from a cost perspective, I would say that uh, definitely is not uh, uh, the system itself. Uh, but because uh, again, if you do an assessment with paper TMF, uh, 
it definitely you will see that it costs more uh, so that is uh, is not uh, the the issue the point uh, the other i would say that can be uh, do we have enough resources and enough knowledge to manage the etml as said yeah. how or we need to outsource and always having a vendor or someone else that manages the entire process for us so the control is not in our hands all these questions i think that you need to focus on and not you know, just the cost of software yeah. rather than the paper. Yeah. So I think I think a really important part of bringing an ETMF system in-house is to do like a maturity assessment, right? Do we have the expertise to manage? You know, what, what are the things that we should be focusing on as a sponsor? Uh, because ultimately you still have responsibility. You still have to perform oversight. You can't, you can't outsource that, really. You're still, you can't outsource the ultimate responsibility. And so sort of going through that, that exercise of sort of, you know, maturity and, you know, what are we missing here in terms of knowledge and expertise and then finding the right partner is super important. And it may be that your CRO has that expertise and you can leverage it, but you're still going to need to have some to be able to, 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 to ultimately have oversight. Well, and there's lots of comments in the chat about, you know, records retention and an archive, long-term storage and 25 years. I mean, you know, it, we've come from a world uh, we're further away from it now but it still exists where we're outsourcing all of that responsibility and saying well that's not my problem and the CRO is going to manage my TMF but now I think everybody's waking up a little bit to some of the responsibilities that we have to think about and at the end of the study you know you're going to get that TMF back and there has to be something in place and and it's not a thumb drive in a safe and uh, so that's that's the that's the reality of the situation and i think also one of the things i really i picked out from both donatella and paul that i think are really interesting is you know implementing an etmf you know sometimes it can sort of be a little bit more of an iceberg you know the, the upfront cost that you see the technology cost you think okay makes sense but then all this all of that kind of process development and change and, and, and alignment that needs to happen that often takes the most amount of time and so it's really like like paul said really important to make sure that you right sized your TMF project, right? Like, do you need to have a Pfizer-sized TMF process as a small biotech on day one? No, probably not. And so at that point, it's about trying to understand, well, what's the what's the phase one look like for you? What, what does your TMF process phase one, phase two, phase three, and so on and so forth, so that as you're, go, as you're growing as an organization, your TMF process also grows. And right-sizing it at the beginning can help you, you know, maybe pick a technology that's a little bit more right-sized for you. Um, it can help you implement change easier because there's less change, perhaps, um, and less process development that needs to happen. Um, so those are some of the things that I think are, are really important to think about there. Lots of, by the way, the chat's on fire. Thanks everybody for jumping in and uh, and throwing your your comments and questions. Uh, this is what I think I love the most about the state of TMF is just how much uh, commentary from our audience. Uh, if you do have questions that you want to ask on the line and you want to join us with your voice, uh, you're more than happy uh, to do so. Just type your question in. And if you want to ask it online, just raise your hand and I'll bring you on to the session. All right, perfect. Let's move on. Now, we talked and touched on this a little bit around inspector expectations becoming increasingly challenging. Now, just over 50% of the respondents held quite a neutral attitude towards increasing difficulty. So they were kind of neither here nor there. But a third agreed and strongly agreed that expectations were becoming more difficult. And what was interesting here was that we saw a significant increase in people that were being challenged by inspector expectations that were not using ETMF systems. Why do you think that those that are not using ETMF systems are finding inspections more difficult? It's kind of a, a softball question here. But who wants to say? 
who wants to take a stab at why, if you are not using ETMF system, do we maybe find it difficult to stay ahead of inspector expectations and maybe guidelines and, and, and so on? If I may start with my opinion, Oliver, I think that uh, the problem here is that uh, expectation in terms of TMS hasn't changed. I mean, uh, even if you are managing a paper TMS or an electronic TMS, uh, the inspector wants to see completeness, quality, and timeliness. So uh, they don't ask you to have an ETMF. I mean, it's not mandatory, it's not regulatory requirement, uh, but how can you, you know, verify and oversight the completeness and the quality and the timeliness of your ETMF, of your TMF, if it is not electronic? Potentially, in theory, you, you can, but uh, can you imagine? Think about, you know, the audit trail, this fabulous uh, topic, which is very inspection readiness. In theory, you can do that also with paper, but it will be so challenging and so hard that it's not practical in daily life. So it's yeah. obvious that, uh, you know, if you're managing the paper TMF, uh, to be in compliance and to ensure that these standards required by inspector are followed uh, is very challenging or almost impossible, to be honest, at some point. Yeah. If you're managing an ETMF, you have more transparency, you have more oversight, you have more control because the data are there. So you can control, you know, I'm not saying with one click, but almost if it is complete, if not, uh, the audit trail and all the other requirements. But with paper, you need a thousand of human beings <laughs> for doing those kind of check, honestly. I don't know, guys, what you think, but... No, I, I agree with you. And I think also, you know, I was, it's funny, I was actually just looking at the, uh, the EMA guidance um, around sort of, um, you know, data integrity and, and the, t the TMF guidance that came out as well regarding things like audit trail. And um, when you read the guidance, it's, it's definitely focused on ETMF, on electronic systems. They're ex they're, it's, it's almost as if, as if they expect that um, the TMF will be electronic, even though, as you said, Donatella, there isn't a requirement. But I, you know, I think that's definitely direct. But, you know, eventually everyone's going to have ETMF. I think also uh, you know, with COVID, obviously things changed a little bit. You know, there's a lot more sort of uh, you know, remote inspections, remote access, prolonged access to, uh, to ETMF. Um, and so obviously if you've got paper, that, that could be a bit of a challenge. You know, it's, diff it's difficult to do a remote inspection if, you, if you're paper-based. Um, but even if you're not paper-based, um, if you're electronic, I think there's definitely sort of experiences that I've heard of where, you know, inspectors are, are, are asking for access for quite long periods of time, and which means that, you know, they're, they're, they're able to access your TMF as it evolves because the TMF is a living thing, right? It changes every day. And so if the inspectors have access for two or three months, then they're seeing, you know, your evolution. So there's a lot more scrutiny. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's just that it's, it's, it's a, it can be a challenging thing, you know, because you need to kind of make sure that people understand that and that, you know, the inspectors have access, they're seeing what's going on. And so uh, we need to, need to be mindful of that. Yeah, and I think if we look at just the, the updates in ICHE 6 R3, right? It's, I was just rereading it this morning and like looking at, at a, a blog by an MHR inspector about the, the, the differences and the whole section on data government governance is brand new. It's brand new and it's taking inspiration from the uh, the data integrity uh, guidelines from the MHRA. And mm -hmm. 
you know, when it's talking about things like data migration and data transfer and, and all of that, it, it is like you're saying, Paul, it's, it's assuming that everyone is using an electronic system. And so I think even if you are using an electronic system, some of those things might be challenging to keep up with, right? If you're th thinking about updating processes and, and, you know, things like data transfer agreements, reconciliation uh, activities and all of that. And so I can't even imagine what that would look like trying to translate that to a paper system. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Seems like you guys are all just reading regulatory guidances and, and documentation on your spare time. It's because there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening right now in that area. So that's why we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, that's our bedside reading every day. There you go. If you guys are looking for TMF nerds, we've got them right here. So so one of the things I think is also quite interesting, maybe, maybe a, a contrasting thought here about sort of inspector expectations. And Paul, you touched on this. At this point, inspectors are likely walking into an organization kind of expecting there to be an electronic system in place, either from a, a known vendor or at least some, some tools in place. I think what's beneficial, again, to talk about sort of like the ETMF vendor versus, let's say, something else, either a file share or a paper TMF, is that when it comes to the updates to regulatory guidance, uh, when there is changes in the regulatory environment, it's far more difficult to adapt to that as an organization that's doing it on paper or their own file share versus maybe an ETMF vendor, which has a community of users, right? And that community of users is responsible to, to, to manage the TMF and they're holding these, these ETMF vendors like Montreal accountable to making sure that we're, we're always on the forefront of what's happening in the regulatory environment. So I think it's just another benefit there. If we are struggling to keep up with inspector expectations and inspections in general, um, from the regulatory environment, you know, going where the, the, the groups of users are normally in ETMF vendors, that's likely going to help because those are going to be the, maybe there's features and tools that the ETMF vendors are providing to, to react or to, um, to, to counter some of those changes. I also think right. just to, that adds one last point to what you're saying, Oliver. I think uh, one thing that we should be doing also as vendors, though, is, is looking at that tool set and seeing if we can actually make improvements. Um, because I still feel, and this isn't just Montreal is across the board that um, we are lacking sort of more dedicated inspection management tools uh, within our TMF, especially within the context of remote inspections. And so having better remote management tools, I think, is definitely a, a thing that we should be focusing on as a vendor community. Fantastic. All right. So one of the other sections that I thought was really interesting in the report, and this was all around metrics, and everybody loves to talk about metrics. There are varying definitions of metrics in the TMF context. One of the things that was really interesting was 41% of all respondents that were asked around metrics that were difficult to track cited completeness as the most difficult metric for them to track. Now, if completeness stands out as one of the most challenging metrics, why do we believe completeness is, is such a debated metric in TMF? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Paul first, because I know we've talked a lot, Paul, both online and offline, about this concept that we call the completeness mirage, right? This, this sort of concept of what is completeness and are we actually truly able to, to calculate it? Do you think that that's what's driving this, this challenge for, for organizations managing completeness or is it something else? Yeah, I think I could talk all day about this. But I think that there are, there are different aspects to it. So um, I think some of the, re the respondents are probably like you know, TMF managers. So their day-to-day -day job is trying to make sure that the TMF is complete, right? That we have everything so that we're ready for inspection. Um, and this can be a, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge task um, because to be able to evaluate 
whether the TMF is complete or not, you need to really understand everything that's happened in the study, right? You need to be aware of everything that's happened in the study. And quite often, you know, you're, you're not necessarily aware unless you're asking <laughs> the teams directly on a very regular basis, you know. Um, I think the other the other thing that that um, is probably motivating that response as well is the fact that it's the way that we manage completeness today. So today we uh, we use this concept of EDL, so expected document lists, which are basically document counts uh, or artifact counts, and those artifact counts um, are are basically managed manually. So if you imagine, you know, in in a in a large study, the number of artifacts that there are. It's huge. You know, it's 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 you know potentially hundreds of thousands, and so it's a mammoth task trying to sort of keep this list up to date, and that list needs to be updated based on your knowledge of what's happening in the study. So it's it's kind of an impossible task, in my opinion, today in the way that we manage it because it's just so huge and it's and it's so manual. I think that we need to change the way that we think about how we calculate completeness i think it needs to be based on on a different model because right now we 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 base it on you know sort of individual artifacts we don't think about groups of artifacts and quite often to be able to describe what's happened in the study you need to to actually produce a group of artifacts which are related to each other and that and that as a whole will actually tell you what happened um and so you know quite often today you'll spend a lot of time trying to assemble all of these things together to be able to uh, tell the the, the story uh, so i think we need to change the way that we we organize things we need to organize things into uh, you know more like clusters of information rather than individual artifacts uh, and then we should be keeping track of each of those instances of processes rather than individual artifacts themselves so an example I've got a, a protocol amendment that I've just uh, I've just signed off on. I know I need to get ethics approval for that protocol amendment, um, either at the country level or at the site level. To get ethics approval, I need to do, I need to do a submission. I potentially need to address any questions, and then hopefully I get approval um, for the uh, for the amendment. And so that that that's actually a package of information because we've got the protocol amendment itself, we've got the submission, we've got you know correspondence that's happening backwards and forwards, and then we've eventually got either a refusal or an approval. And so if we can predefine up front, well, you know, this is what you should expect, then all I, all I need to do then as a TMF manager is make sure, okay, well, I saw that there's a protocol amendment and therefore I should expect to see packages for the ethics approvals for all of the countries and sites that are, that are using that protocol amendment. And so we're sort of taking it up a notch in terms of granularity. And making it a lot a lot easier to manage but you know that's something that we need to do as an industry we need to rethink rethink things a little bit um, and right now you know that's not the way that we manage things that makes sense yeah big time absolutely christina yeah that makes a lot of sense paul i was just gonna say that like you that that right now the to have an accurate accurate completeness metric those things that you just spoke about where you know you have a protocol amendment now i need ethics and maybe i need an update to my uh, crf uh, you know uh, the specifications and all that, that that's happening manually so until we we come to that uh, agreement as an industry and and then you know uh, d decide to how we'll introduce that, uh, that as vendors it really depends on the person going in and creating those placeholders or those expected documents manually right and so uh, i think that's the biggest challenge today in in not only knowing you know the the events like you said being aware of the events but uh, 
again, it's going into your TMF and doing that active management to say, I'm, I'm expecting these documents now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you, Paul and Christina, that, you know, this uh, process related to completeness uh, is something that uh, now is based on manual effort, uh, uh, personal knowledge, because if you think about, you know, maybe a very junior resource that is putting there to manage the TMF completeness, uh, how this resource can know all the processes related for a specific event or a specific milestone. I mean, if there is nothing written or if there is nothing indicating to the system, uh, this is based on your personal knowledge. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you miss this uh, knowledge, this information, you're not able to do this cross-check uh, between the documentation and, uh, you know, to understand if the process is complete or not. So you really need some input from the system that guide you in understanding what to check based on this event that, as you said, what I must be aware, first of all, because if you're not involved in the, in the process, in the event, yeah. how can I manage? And if I can add the one last thing, maybe it's minor versus this approach, but I think it's important as well to ensure completeness is that sometimes it's really at the beginning of the trial that you don't, let's say, define correctly your study TMF index. So there is not this, let's say, attention and process to manage and define the TMF index that should guide you in understanding the completeness. So you just really, you know, uh, give this list without, for example, adding additional information like uh, if there is any company SOP that you have to refer to, if uh, the, what is the milestone or the event associated with the particular uh, artifact or sub-artifact? Is there is if there is anything specific based on the study design that you wanna you know keep uh, uh, in the index? So it, the index should help you as a guidance, as a map in your uh, TMF management. And sometimes this process at the beginning, during, and at the closeout of the TMF is not managed properly, and so you miss the pieces at the end. So the story will not be complete, but it's another tool that uh, we have in place. And I think it must be, you know, uh, people must take care of it uh, during the entire life cycle of the trial. So much to unpack there. Really, really great um, sort of focus there on what can, we can do better from a completeness perspective. I think obviously it's a challenging uh, area to be in if we're only going to look at things from an EDL perspective, like you said, Paul, I think we do need better tools. We need uh, better insights and data from our other friends across our, our clinical trial stakeholders. So that's something that, you know, totally we need to, to look into. I'm going to move on now. What I, what I want to do is maybe talk about some of the things that maybe we can give a little bit more advice and guidance on. And the first thing that kind of really popped out to us in the survey was around some of the questions that we asked uh, around culture and TMF culture and how to improve TMF culture. Now, culture we know plays a pivotal role in any organization, but certainly in the success of TMF teams. When it comes to culture, um, what are some of the initiatives or strategies that organizations can adopt to make sure that they cultivate you know, a positive and proactive TMF culture? What are some of the things that, that we would recommend them for, for improving TMF culture? I think one of the, the first things is just to make sure that for all the functional areas that are, that could be contributing content to the TMF is to have those TMF resources uh, as your go-tos, you know, so I have someone in your data management department that is going to be the, the champion for, you know, the, just making sure that information goes into into the TMF if necessary and, you know, it can help other resources in the team say, oh, I'm looking for this document. You know, you have to go to the TMF for that. It should be there. So I think uh, part of the whole mind shift is, again, 
knowing that TMF is not just a clinical operations tool, right? It's a, it's a tool that's being used across the functional areas. And so having those TMF go-tos there will, will definitely help um, have champions for TMF filing and, and compliance. And then I think also having the necessary infrastructure for uh, training. So it comes down to the, mi the mindset again, right? If you're not if you're not putting in place, you know, important things like your, your SOPs around TMF management, your TMF plan, spending time to properly build a TMF index and, and uh, thinking of roles and responsibilities, then of course, that's not going to trickle down to your team, right? So put in the time to, to, to get those in place and then, and then hold those training sessions, get people involved in, in the development of those, of those procedures. I think another thing I would also add in there is, uh, you know, metrics are very powerful things and you know, if you're, you're able to pull out metrics by department, for example. So if you have like a functional area, you can say, well, these are your metrics this month, you know, and people get addicted to metrics, you know, they're, they're, they love looking at metrics on their phone. And so we need to, I think we need to find ways of, of making metrics more accessible to the functional areas and then also sort of rewarding, um, you know, good results, you know, good metrics, you know, if you, and sort of have champions and sort of almost turn it into some kind of competition, you know, so the people like they're, they're, they're contributing and they're seeing results and they're getting rewarded for it, I think is definitely a good behavior to encourage, you know, a bit of healthy competition goes a long way, I think. And we should, we should think about that. Yeah. Sort of a gamification of, of TMF in a way. Yeah. Not, yeah. we're not talking about a, do a dollar, a document here or anything like that. I don't think. No. Right. But we're talking, we're talking here about exposing things that may be, you know, creates a little bit of competition internally. This department is better at filing than this department. This department maybe has projections. You could do like you could even do like a, an event, you know, like on a on a on a annual basis or a quarterly basis or whatever. You know, like a TMF day or a TMF hour or whatever, and people can come along. They can have a piece of cake and a cup of tea and something, and and we can talk about those results. You know, and we can just uh, sort of make it something in the organization. Rather need a bit more fun, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Should it, we say it's a lot of fun, but some people don't think it's a lot of fun. <laughs> the TMF conferences That's it. are a lot of fun, like those conferences. So, um, yeah, so having think, a TMF day. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, honestly, I think the, the TMF community is a very engaged community. Like, they, they're, they're really passionate about this. And so I think they should try and spread that passion, you know, to, to the, other, the other members of their organization, you know. Uh, spread the spread the fun yeah i was thinking you said tmf hour or tmf day and i was thinking is he gonna say tmf week with a little subtle <laughs> plug there i don't know i didn't know if you were gonna go that far i think that yeah. makes a lot of no. <laughs> i think that makes a lot of sense paul i think you know like culture is 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 more than you know bullet points on a piece of paper and i think if you want to build a, a leading culture at an organization or even within your team, you have to empower others. You have to educate them. And, and like Christina says, like training is important and helping them understand the impact of what they do. Gamification, incentivization, those are all things that can help motivate certain types of people. But I think building a leading culture is not necessarily about one thing that is the kind of the silver bullet that will solve all your problems. Ultimately, you guys have to look inwardly at the people that you have in your teams and what will motivate them. Everybody's different. And so maybe what one organization will do won't work for others. But I think we've shared some really great suggestions there on things that maybe people yeah. could try. I think the other thing as well is, you know, the people that work in TMF day in, day out, like then they, they know about it, right? they understand it, it's their thing. But I think that there's a lot of people in other departments that don't necessarily understand everything, but, but they could have good ideas. So let me explain that a little bit more. So. The other day I was talking to, to someone who works in data management and they had been assigned 
responsibility as the TMF lead for data management in their organization. It was quite a large pharma company. And initially they were like, yeah, I haven't got the first clue about TMF. I don't really know what it is. I know it's documents, like we have to provide documents, but that's about it. But then, you know, as that person started to discover more and more uh, about, you know, the different sort of TMF management processes, they started to sort of realize, well, actually, this is quite similar to what we do in data management. You know, we're collecting information, we're making sure that that information is correct and complete, and then we're providing it for analysis. You know, that's kind of what we do. We do you know, data collection, data cleaning, uh, and, and TMF management is kind of similar. And so, you know, if we can engage with those stakeholders, um, allow them to draw parallels, they can also provide us with ideas. You know, like, so this is what we do. What, why don't you do this in TMF, you know? And this person started to sort of do that as I was having this discussion with her. And I thought, oh, yeah, that really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so I, I definitely think that the, um, the, 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 the functional groups outside of TMF management could have some interesting insights into how we could better manage TMF as well. So we should listen to them, you know, and that and also creates a, a certain amount of ownership too, right? So anyway, let's share that. No, I like, I love that. I love that. I think, you know, sometimes because there's that apprehension or maybe even some animosity between teams, because look, you know, as you said, TMFers, as we call them, are passionate people. And so sometimes if people aren't getting the same passion on the other side of the table, maybe there is a little bit of that resentment. And then you're not as open to new ideas, right? And I think that there are different perspectives and especially like, you know, teams like data management is a great example because data management had access to technology long before TMF teams did. And so maybe there are some things that mistakes that have been that have been made and, and learned from that the TMF teams could also learn from there as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. I want to be conscious of time here because we, we, we're not going to get to everything that we wanted to, to get to, but that means that you guys just have to now go and look at the report. The one thing I want to finish on was a section of the report that we left very open to everybody, which was around the, the kind of the, the features that people want to see in TMF systems moving forward. Now we had lots of different, um, lots of different suggestions, which our product team, of course, loved. But I think it's also maybe important to maybe talk about some of the things that, that we feel we should be talking about, maybe that weren't mentioned. So some of the common themes for for, for this part of the report were TMF teams and, and other teams were looking for less complex, more intuitive ETMF systems, which isn't a surprise, right? Like we've, there are lots of ETMF systems out there lots of great ones, lots of ones that have maybe been around for a little longer. And so maybe they're not as intuitive as we would, as we're used to in our daily lives today. The other thing that we saw was a lot of uh, suggestions around improved reporting tools. So that's what Paul was talking about, how important metrics were earlier. You know, reporting helps us ultimately make better decisions. If we think about our TMF as an active TMF, we're going to get much better data. But if we don't have the reports to, to, to obtain that, then that doesn't work either. And then the, the last one were lots and lots of different comments around artificial intelligence, but really some suggestions around more more accessible and, and, and more advanced AI um, within the TMF, looking beyond sort of processing documents, what, what AI can do there. So those are some of the common themes. When we, as TMF systems evolve, what are some of the features or improvements that you believe, my esteemed panel, that are going to cater to the future needs of TMF professionals? What should our audience here be expecting to see either from us or, or other providers in the future? But one thing that and I know Donatello also feels very strongly about this, that I would like to see is uh, is uh, electronic storyboards directly in the TMF. Quite often yes. today, storyboards are super important when it comes to inspections. 
but we we produce like PowerPoint presentations, right, or or documents. Um, and and I've never understood why we don't do it directly in the system because actually all the information you need to refer to in the storyboard is actually in the ETMF. So wouldn't it be better if it was just directly in there? Now I think the other thing is is that we should I think we should make more use of storyboards and not just for inspections. We should actually make use of storyboards for the clinical teams as well because they are what they say, right? They they tell a story like and, and that's really what we should be doing. That's that's what what TMF is all about. So we should have better tools for that. Yeah, agreed, but, Paul. And uh, uh, um, along the same lines of you know of uh, storyboarding, I guess just having a, an inspection readiness in general. For me, along what you were talking about, data management and, and the parallels to data management is having those built-in sort of rules or anomalies check engine into your TMF. And but you know we talk about the fact that we collect so much data. Well, we can do a lot of information. We can do a lot with that data and make sure that the data is consistent and logical across and throughout your TMF. And so I think that's something that will really help uh, you know, teams who are struggling with uh, QC and the resources assigned to, to QC to, to have this uh, automated rules engine do, do a little bit of that for you. Yeah, and that was actually one of the findings as well in the, uh, in the report that there's, there's, a, there's a too much burden on QC. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah, a lot of people are still doing 100% uh, QC, and so, yeah. <laughs> to another area that I know Donatella is going to speak about. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with you. Uh, storyboarding, I think it's uh, a piece of the process for TMF management that must be implemented into the system because there is the technology, we know uh, what we need, uh, so and uh, and because the TMF is the storyteller, why don't we implement the storyboarding inside directly uh, the TMF? All the information, the data are there, so it could be easier uh, for the clinical team, uh, for the inspector, uh, for everyone to understand the story and to understand the quality of, of your story. Uh, at the same time, I think that uh, uh, a tool that can support us in implementing the risk-based approach uh, can definitely be uh, the future because uh, now it's not the uh, a requirement anymore. I mean, it's something that uh, we must uh, implement, even if it's not, a, uh, even if it should not be uh, a requirement. Because uh, how can you check 100% of the entire document every time? You you can't. Basically, you can't. So it's in the regulation, but it's also something that it's so obvious to implement. So the tools that we are using every day must support this uh, this process and must support this. Uh, Space QC because that is uh, you know the only way that we have to to be in compliance with the regulation, but also to uh, to manage the completeness and yeah. the, the big amount of documents in the TMA. Absolutely, I think that's going to be a key focus uh, moving forward for for the community in general. Like how do we how do we apply a more sort of standardized risk based approach to TMF management? Um, I know it's something that the reference models also looking. Uh, yeah. And maybe a future episode on the state of TMF, who knows? Sure. Thank you all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of cut it uh, here because I think we're, we're right at time. I want to thank you all for, uh, for joining me on this session. We didn't get to all of the statistics. We didn't get to all of the interesting things that we found during the uh, the survey and the ultimately, and ultimately the report. You touched on one, which was QC. There's lots of really interesting things about QC in the report, so go take a look. I've posted the link to the report where you can get it. You don't need to fill out a form. You can access it right away. It's completely free of charge. If you found anything interesting in that report, just anything, just one thing, if you would share that online with your peers, that would help us get this report in front of as many people as possible. This is something we want to continue to do. 
Our TMF community is very, very important to us. This is just one of the ways in which we're trying to give back. So if you can share that, that's perfect. Thank you all. Welcome back to season two. We've got another episode in about a month's time, November 22nd. We'll be releasing the episode title later this week. So you'll look out for that. And we look forward to seeing you on the next session. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of the State of TMF Season 2. If you liked today's episode, hit the subscribe button, view the full episode with video on YouTube, and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook to see the sometimes entertaining and always resourceful content we post every single day. And don't forget to check out the full 2023 State of TMF Industry Report, available now for free download at Montreum.com. See you in November for Episode 2.